welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode 2 of The Shadow Rising. And today we're going to talk about chapters 8 through 17 in this book. Uh, I'm Tyler, and joining me are... Leon. And? Jesse. Hey. Um, oh no, it looks like this podcast, it's... There's nothing. I'm weaving clever dialogue into it and competently written notes and the record button in audacity. What a complex weave. Come on. Record, darn you. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Good to know you all read the section. So let's start with chapter eight. Hard heads. I'm I'm taking damage from this. <laughs> this sandbagging. Um so chapter... It just took me until the very last sentence to get what you were trying to do with that intro. Well, I did my best. Just like Rand in bringing that girl back to life. Oof. It's a character moment. We'll get to it. <sighs> yeah. Some might say defining. Anyway, chapter eight, hard heads. Uh, so Where we get some very teenage flirting. Yeah. It's bad. When last we left... Oh, God, I hope you didn't read the note that I had put in there. The, no, um, I didn't. Oh, thank God. I ignored your notes. Thank God. Uh, so when last we left off, remember, Egwene and Elaine were in the room trying to teach Rand how to channel, and Rand was like, no, you... And then Egwene said, I don't love you. And Rand said, cool, I don't love you either. And Egwene said, why are you lying to me? And then left the room. Uh, but Elaine is still there. She's watching Rand mutter to himself for a minute and trying to just kind of be chill about it. She's like, my not boyfriend is crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was actually just reading part of Lord of Chaos last night, where she's like, my not-boyfriend is crazy. So once Rand realizes that she's still in the room, they're super- He's like, oh oh shit, are my dreams coming true? Yeah. (laughs) My, like, literal dreams? Yeah. Uh, They're super awkward. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just so uncomfortable. She asks, do you like me? Very 16. And he's- he says, yeah, I like you. In fact, I really like you. She's do like, you like like me? And she's like, yeah, but do you like like me? It's like, are you fond of me? He's like, I like like you. She's like, no, Rand. <laughs> Rand, I am a delicate woman and I'm doing my best. She's doing her best to, like, actually talk to him. I mean, speaking of actually talking to him, there's like... Robert Jordan makes a valiant effort to make this chemistry real. And it doesn't like, go. Uh, well, like, correction, it works, but I'm like, where is this coming from? Where's this passionate affection? Like, they just find each other hot. Yeah. There's nothing This is just else. flirting. Yeah, I mean, she's just a hot 16-year-old, and he's a hot <laughs> 19-year-old. And listen, I don't know. I'm assuming, based on the text, that she's a hot 16-year-old. I'm not attracted to her, because... <laughs> Oh my god, Elaine. But like, don't laugh at me. I'm not like outing myself at. Listen. <laughs> you make everything worse the more you just continue talking. The two of you are the ones laughing at me. 
Anyways, they're just flirting really hard, doing all these, like, very suggestive things, and Robert Jordan's like, this is chemistry. This is two characters that like each other. See? Which, I can roll with it, it's just very apparent. Yeah, I think most of their chemistry is, like, via montage. (laughs) Well, no. Yeah, montages of her, like, pulling him to the side in the hallways, and, like, that's literally in this section. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's most of their relationship in this section is that she's the only one that Rand isn't, like, screaming at and lighting on fire. I mean, he is lighting her on fire, but not like that. Uh, She's trying to be forward with him. Yeah, he's trying to be a good boy and not make it weird. Uh, They finally get out that they're into each other. They make out for a bit, and then uh, some visitors arrive, so they have to stop, which... Sounds like a teenage moment. And then the narration, uh, Elaine's narration as she leaves. Like, I didn't want to pull out multiple paragraphs that I would have had to for, like, before and after. But the word choice and tone changes so you can tell that she's, like, super happy. She's exuberant. The endorphins. The endorphins pumping through her. So, point of view switches to Rand. And then he's like, immediately, she had been so cool and collected while he had been tripping over his own tongue. And yeah. Robert Jordan loves this trope yeah. of, like, characters that are freaking out inside. And then you go to someone else's perspective, and like, they're so calm and collected. Yeah. At least this time, Elaine definitely wasn't thinking how composed Rand was as, compo- as compared to her. Because he was very apparently not composed. Yeah. He's a good farm boy. Yeah, so Rand is now meeting with some High Lords, and he... Has a hard time focusing. Yeah, well, he's yelling at them about taxes, and he's like, 75% tax cut on the farmers. Do it. Well, he's also justifying to them why. Yeah, it's just also, like... The whole time he's thinking about girls. He's thinking about girls, and also he's 19, and he's like... Three quarters of your taxes from these people no longer exists. Get wrecked. <laughs> He's a Chad. So we cut to Egwene and Matt. Uh, Matt doesn't want to be here. So they're talking in the hall and Matt says, The last time I spared you a moment, you and the knave tied me up with the power like a pig for market so you could rummage through my room. And this is a whole separate incident from the end of the last book. Yeah, they like, like stole back the note from Suan. Yeah, it's like, holy, I do not blame Matt for not wanting to be friends with them anymore. Yeah. Like, this is some horrible shit. Yeah. Uh, So during this whole conversation, he's saying, I I will say, Egwene has a good moment here where uh, Matt is saying the whole conversation, I need help. And she says, "Uh, well, okay, what do you need help with? And he says, I don't know. And the next line is her considering... Is she going to cause any damage to anyone else if she just pushes him off a balcony? (laughs) The line is, she says, what do you want advice about? Matt says, I don't know. It was a 10 pace drop to the garden. Besides, there were men down there weeding among the roses. If she pushed him over, he might land on one. (laughs) Like, just the, the sentence structure so that she's thinking about it and then, oh, it's because she's going to push him off. Uh, but she like composes herself and doesn't. Instead, that actually is a that actually is a pretty interestingly written sentence. Yeah, it's funny. 
so he says he talks about how he's considered leaving, but he doesn't think he'd be able to. He's like, even if the Tavarin thing I doesn't catch no me. I have no idea why. Yeah. Even if Tavarin doesn't catch me, uh, Moraine would. And Eggy says, well, if you're looking for answers, there's this thing I'm not supposed to tell anyone about. But here's what it is, how you use it and where it is and when it's not guarded. And then she makes him swear that he won't go. And he says, I won't go. Unless I interpret that my life depends on it. She's like, that seems like a phrase I can trust. She says, you must remember this, Matt. Frivolous questions can get you killed. So if you use it, you will have to be serious for a change. <laughs> okay, okay. Also, Matt says, three questions? You go in like Billy, I suppose, and spend a night and come out ten years later with a purse that's always full of gold, and, uh, see, Matt, that's a whole other doorway. You'll figure it out. That's a different doorway. That's in this book. <laughs> There's so many doorways. Uh, do we need to add a doorway counter along with the inn counter? Well, these are special doors. That's true. Uh, so that's the end of that chapter, and we move on to chapter nine, Decisions. So I didn't take specific notes about this, because it's just every main character futzing around in a montage. It's boring. Yeah. Everybody knows that, like, everything's going to change in a few days when the Black Sisters are sent away, because some people are going to have to leave, and so some people are going to go with them, and they're like, hey, if they're leaving, we're going to go. So, like, everybody's just trying to figure out how they want to spend their last two or three days. Yeah. Perrin's trying to get Fayola leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think, in... Like, two or three chapters, but spoilers, he does the thing that he already knows won't work because Rand tried it on him and it didn't work. And uh, we got a little bit, a couple scenes of Egwene getting to be friends with Avienda. Which is nice. Which yeah. is nice, and establishes that ahead of time. Yeah, it establishes a lot of things. It establishes that Avienda is going to be pretty present. It also establishes that Egwene has some sort of ability to feel kinship with the Aiel, which is important. I thought you were going to say kinship with another human being. Wow. <laughs> not established at this point. No, she she and Avienda are good friends. Some would say second, first sisters, second sisters. Uh, I don't know. First sisters by... Oh, no, she calls, she calls her near sister, I think. Yes, the near sister yeah. thing. Yeah. So, yeah, this is important going forward. The whole sister-wife thing is not a cool thing, though. Yet. I mean, ever. But I mean, there are ways it could be very much less cool. Yeah. I think the way Robert Jordan does it with the Aiel is slightly less terrible than just the idea of Sister Wives is, and we'll get to it. Yeah. Because yeah. at least the um like the Aiel are more as opposed to something like the Two Rivers, where it's like the two genders have their they're like constant struggle against each other to be more important. The Aiel actually are like matriarchal in that sense. The clan chiefs will just bow to whatever the wise ones say. This polygamy in the Aiel is more liberative than Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Because we know it's going to be Rand with a bunch of people, I'm just like, really? How much we'll like self service is this just, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot. It's just not cool, in my opinion. Yeah. I right think now, he only has one nubile girlfriend, which he has a montage with in this chapter. But we know that from, like, the, the previous chapter that, that Min is like, yeah, I'm stuck with them. Yeah, Min. Min knows that she is one of the three, 
and that Elaine is one of the three. And so, I don't know, that's that's just going to be hard on her. Like, her existence is tied to this person. Yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah, I would say that the Aiel triple marriage is... Give him the whole Aiel triple marriage. Uh, I think he's... Triple lots. Yeah. Uh, Sort of a three-hit combo situation. Uh, I think that when it's about Rand, it's less cool because the writing comes off as very, like... I'm trying to be a nice guy to these girls, and I just can't pick, but they're all okay sharing me. Whereas, like, when it's about Aiel culture, it's much more acceptable. We'll get to Avienda's explanation in this section. Yeah. So, we go to... After Rand threatens to hang some lords, Selene shows up. Yeah. I will say, I didn't cut anything out or, like, make any specific notes about Rand's threatening, but... It establishes early on, which is important in later books, that Rand is very willing to be a bully when he's kind of Taylor-like in that sense of like... Most most people won't know what you mean when you say that. Well, Taylor Heber from Worm. Yes. Uh, very like, oh my god, none of your problems matter, just do what I say. Or and I'll if you, kill you. Yeah, if you don't, I will kill you, and I will continue to kill people in your position until someone gets promoted who agrees with me. End of sentence. I mean, it's awful, but when you're reading from that point of view, and if you sympathize with that protagonist at that point in time, you're like, yeah, good for you. I mean, I mean, the reason he was threatening to hang them was because he told them to send supplies to, like, a war-torn place, and instead they, like, sent people that then looted the place. Yeah. Yeah, he's, so, I mean, he's justifiably upset. Yeah. Yeah, so he's bullying the High Lords, they leave, and then Celine shows up. Celine, he gasped, hurrying to her. Where did you come from? How did you get here? Oh god, he still doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good boy. He doesn't know anything. I guess Min didn't give him the memo. No. That Celine is... Lanfear. Uh, Lanfear. Eyes up, Rand. Uh, so they talk for a while and she tries a few times during this to tempt him over to the dark she's like hey you know we could get Asmodian to teach you how to use the power and then you and I could kill all the other chosen and then it would just be you and we'd be extra chosen yeah we'd be like double chosen we'd be choosed the chosen (laughs) the choosenest and so during this conversation, the door opens and a gray man rushes in to kill Rand. Lanfear lets him, lets Rand kill the gray man with the power and using a sword. And she's like disgusted. And Rand starts thinking about, could he use a sword against a woman? Against Celine? No. Against Lanfear? Against one of the Forsakens? Like, is this even an issue? Come on. I was so annoyed reading this. <laughs> I mean, that's his... I, this will continue to be an issue. Yeah. This is like literally until... Almost the end. Like, he just won't harm women. That's such nonsense. <laughs> Come on, Rand. Like, it's... it's Ugh. If it makes you feel any better, like, the eventual epiphany is, oh, that's dumb. Like, he says that to it, himself. It doesn't make it less frustrating. No. How stupid it is right now. No, it's stupid. But again, like, this is at least... When we talk about characters having flaws and not being perfect, 
like at least this flaw that he has actually causes him in-story issues and it's not just paying lip service to oh he has this big problem because of whatever like it actually hurts him i've discussed this before but i think the danger of that is also just being he's so heroic that he won't hurt women that he'll take on disadvantages to himself just to not hurt a woman Mm -hmm. like no there's like there's sort of a balance between those two yeah i don't think at least not that i can remember i don't think it's ever presented as like i think pretty much every character that ever finds out that he has that rule is like rand you're dumb don't do that yeah but that's like he's so heroic Mm -hmm. i don't know i just it's frustrating i think i disagree that that's how you're supposed to read it but if that's yeah Anyway, that's just the that's just the concern that it could tilt that direction. Certainly. Yeah. Also, at one point, Lanfear says, "You loved me," and then he says, "And you loved power." Yeah. For a moment, he felt dazed. The words sounded true. He knew they were true. But where had they come from? And all I can say to that is, "I deserve death." Yeah. <laughs> Give uh, me death. <laughs> uh. During this episode, we'll the it. part of Jesse will be played by the bot from r slash wetlander humor. <laughs> I presume that's why you were yelling that. Yes. Ilyana. Uh, so once the threat is dealt with, yeah, Rand realizes he can't attack her. And then he's like, wait, how did the gray man get past the Aiel? Something must be wrong. Let's step out of the room. Oh, yeah. And also Lanfear mentions two great Cyangriel. Hmm. That... That one of them could use, and one of them could use the other. Hey, is that a lampshade? <laughs> Why are you putting it on this song, reel? Uh, so chapter 10, The Stone Stands. Trollocs and Mergerl are attacking the stone, slaughtering the defenders and the Aiel. Uh, Rand steps out to fight with the Sword of Fire, and is uh, killing his way through the Shadow Spawn, and eventually Lanfear catches up with him. It's like... Why are you still using this sword? <laughs> a, why are so you so dumb? Yeah. A, why are you using a sword? B, why are you using the power to make a sword? C, where's Kalendor? And so he's like, "Oh, I guess you're right." Uh, he goes back to grab it, and then using the power, he directs lightning throughout the entire stone, striking and killing only the shadow spawn. Kalendor seems pretty useful, huh? Yeah, maybe seems like you should literally never not have it. Mm. Mm. we'll get to it yeah sure hope it doesn't have a glaring weakness uh, he finds the body of a dead girl and tries to restore her to life but even with Kalendor, he can't this was a scene that i must have read when i was 10 or 11 years old and when i started this series up again at age 24 last year I still vividly remembered it. Sometimes that happens. It's I didn't even re- I didn't even realize it had happened the first time I read it through because I think I was bored with the action. Yeah, you texted me about having gotten through a certain part, and I was like, "Yeah, how did you feel about that?" You said, "What?" <laughs> yeah, like sometimes the action in the series makes my eyes glaze over. Yeah, well, he's yeah. To me, this. Bion looks bored, so I assume you don't have anything to say. Well, I mean, for myself, I, I, I didn't not 
realize it was there like Jesse, but I also wasn't emotionally touched like you are. I think it's mostly that based on this, it like begins Rand's dissent about people that die for him. Because that's something that he's extremely concerned with going forward. Is Very like, concerned. Yeah, like people that die because of his actions that he could have stopped their deaths. I feel like it all sort of begins in this moment. Because um, like we've been saying, this is the first book in which the scale of events has changed. Rand is now in charge of people besides himself and maybe like, you know, five to ten other individuals. So having him start off with, there's a child that's dead, he can't bring her back, even with all of this power, that everybody is, like, freaking out that he just did this. And even with Kalindor, that he, you know, could tear the stone apart with a thought, and he's, like, directing lightning throughout an entire fortress without having to look at it. Mm-hmm. He still has this moment of, like, I can't save this child, which isn't emotionally affecting to me, but it is an important character moment for him. And that's what stuck with me through all those years, is that it, like, initiates this whole arc that he has for the whole series. Yeah. He'll be very concerned about people dying for him. Yeah. Which is something you want in your leader, generally, to not make callous decisions but on the other hand, it seems like it'll be another thing he fixates on to the detriment of himself. So hmm. I mean, yeah, that's hmm. congrats. That's the next eight books is like, no, well, no, I mean, he has other stuff, but like, like not hurting. Women. Like this is it's called a character arc. Like he has a problem. He slowly fixes it and then he gets better. I got better. Yeah. Um, it's not eight books about him. Cool. There are books he's not in. Beautiful. So, point is, uh, after he puts the body down and makes sure that everybody's safe, he says the next day he's going to announce what he's doing, which we still don't get in this section. <laughs> the next uh. seven chapters are still not even 24 hours. Yeah, the pacing really is weird for me. Yeah, well, I mean, keep in mind, so the whole series is like two and a half years. We have already burned through like 18 months of it to this point in the series. It's really that short amount of time yeah. within the whole series? Yeah, because in the first one, in the first book, we start at spring. Mm-hmm. Or we start at the start of spring, and then by the end, it's like partway through summer. Uh-huh. And then the next one is a couple weeks later, and they skip uh, fall. Four months. Yeah, they skip fall. Mm-hmm. And so they arrive in Falm in winter, mm-hmm. and then the book three starts at the end of winter. Uh-huh. And so it probably took them, like, all of spring to get to Tyr. Mm. Weird. Yeah. So the rest is going to continue to be like this. Not this bad. And it'll be different because there's different characters. And so the point of view won't be so ridiculous because we'll actually be in different places, so it's more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it becomes a treat when characters are in the same location. Okay. Instead of like, oh dear god, why is this happening to me? Uh, speaking of why is this happening, chapter 11, an Egwene chapter. There's nothing wrong with it. 
Remember that time that Egwene thanked Matt by choking him and then thanked him a second time by, by stealing from him? him? Anyways, there's a lot know. of Teleran Riyadh stuff here. Please. Tarantula? Yeah, it's Tarantula, Bye. man. I'm fine saying Teleran Riyadh, but I have decided that I'm no longer choosing to spell it and I'm just writing Tarantula. Uh, so Egwene is in her room trying to recover from the disturbing events of the night and prepare for what she's about to have to do. Uh, she's going into Tarantula without the ring to make sure, A, that she can, and B, she's going to try and gather information to confirm what the Wonder Squad should be doing in their hunt for the Black Aja. So she's going to go to Tanchico, try and find something, and see what she can find. The skill seems pretty useful. Yeah. Seems like a defining character skill. Uh, so she has the other squad members and Avienda guard her as she lies down, and she wakes up in Tanchico in Tarantula. Wearing fly clothes. Yeah, her fly this clothes is... change like four times in ten seconds. Yeah, cue all of the Teleran Riyadh clothes stock. Yeah. Uh, cue the obligatory, like, cut and paste it into the yeah. text. Something, something, two rivers woolen, something, something, plunging necklines. Something, something. 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 <laughs> Naked for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just mix and match the order, and you have every visit to Teleran Riyadh. You know, you gotta match your aesthetic for what you're looking for. I guess. So she's in the Panarch's Palace with all of the goodies, uh, and Eggy sees some weird stuff. There's skeletons from the following creatures. A rhino, a saber-toothed tiger... A giraffe and a Mercedes hood ornament. <laughs> Which is why I said that that car was a spoiler for this section. God. Because it was sucks. a Mercedes. That's awful, honey, and I hope you feel ashamed. I don't. I actually feel pretty proud. Uh, you know, this is an age long past and an age still to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally. Because she says it's softer than metal, but it's, like, shiny and reflective. It's, like, literally a plastic Mercedes hood ornament that survived all of these years and is now in a museum. Also, technically, the series hasn't revealed this stuff. I don't know if I'm going to keep that. What do you mean? Oh, an age long past and an age yet to come? Every book starts off with that. Wait, so... Yeah, you don't really know what it means until later in this book. Does this imply that we're a past of this? We are currently in the first age in our modern life, but we are in any given reflection of every possible first age and every... Like, every first age that has been and will come yet to be, we are currently in. The Age of Legends is the second age, and this is the third age. And then it ends, because all of the books that talk about it end with the last battle, and it becomes the fourth age. That's weird. Well, that's the idea, is it takes place... Yeah. But technically the book hasn't explicated that, so... I mean, it never does. It never says that we live in the first age. It just I mean, says there it was some kind of does in a section later in this book. Maybe we'll talk about that then. Anyways, anyways, so Egwene's the, the Panarch's Palace. Panarch's Palace. Uh, Aegy goes to look around the rest of the city. She's not finding much, and she keeps accidentally popping into the waste. And there's this old lady on a hunt. 
Yeah. Her thoughts are wandering. Therefore, so is she. Yeah. In Tanchico, she swears she sees Brigitta Silverbow one of the times that she comes back. But that couldn't be. What? No way. No. Who's who's who even is that? Anyway, that I my notes literally say anyway. Anyway, <laughs> eventually that Aiel woman uh, catches up with Eggy. Her name is Amis. She's a wise one of the Aiel. Uh, she tells Egwene to come and study with her, that there's much to teach, and then Egwene is pulled from the dream. She has to go to Cold Rock's hold. Yeah, we gotta drag this out. We yeah. can't just give you the answers right now. No, 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 no. Listen, we got a bunch of more books to fill. Uh, so chapter 12, Tanchico or the Tower. Waking up, Egwene finds everyone worried about her and then fills them in on what happened. Uh, we also here get the small lesson on Aiel marriage customs. Yeah. So, like Avienda says, but you and Elaine care for each other as first sisters. What would you have done had one of you been unwilling to step aside for Randall Thor? Fight over him? Let a man damage the ties between you? Would it not have been better if you both had married him then? So this is my sort of thing where this is a pretty optimistic take on polygamy. Yeah. And it's at least one that makes Robert Jordan's gender stuff surprisingly less troubling than usual. But, yeah. It's not as bad as just the one-sentence bullet point of it would make it sound, but we still have a lot to see. Yeah. I care too much about you being my friend. These women are just very good friends to... Yeah. How do you... Oh. I wish Beyond's face was audio. <laughs> um, You would hear the death. As you all know, I'm not the biggest fan of the gender dynamics in this story. And so... I don't really know how to encapsulate how I feel about this. Except that it makes me tired because I can't separate the fact of this world is being written by a person in our society. And so it's really hard for me to feel like this is an empowering concept when we're considering the every other dynamic created by this guy. Fair enough. Also more lesbians. Yeah, as I said, this isn't, like, great. It's just less troubling than usual. Yeah, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. You would even expect it to be worse based on... Everything else in here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's surprisingly less troubling than usual. Yeah. It's like, wow, you weren't 100% garbage. <laughs> you were only 50%. He at least tried. So Egwene insists that the plan should be she and Avienda will go to Cold Rock's hold and Elena and Nave will go to Tanchico. But Avienda's like, no, no, no. No, I'm going to Tanchico because... You all need somebody to watch your back, and that's me. And then Moraine comes in. And she's like... She's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're going to Cold Rock's hold. Uh, so the Black Sisters are dead, and she's gotten a letter from the Wise Ones in the Aiel Waste that says Avienda needs to come and join them in Ruidion. And then she pouts and leaves. Yeah. So this is like the first real indication that Avienda is going to be a major character. Yeah. Before this, it sort of just seems like she's background, but now there's something to keep track of with her character. Yeah, now there's a reason to care. 
So that brings us to chapter three, rumors. I'm sorry, chapter 13, rumors. Uh, Matt is in some random tavern in the city, and he hears a rumor that White Cloaks are in the two rivers, hunting someone named Althor and another guy with yellow eyes. Weird. Uh, He rushes back to the stone to tell Perrin, and like walks in on Perrin already packing to leave. Uh, They talk for a bit, and then realize... Uh, and then Matt realizes that he's already decided he's not going to go. Yeah, so there's this exchange. Is it easy for you, Perrin? Going, I mean. Don't you feel anything trying to hold you back, telling you reasons you shouldn't go? A hundred of them, Matt. But I know it comes down to Rand and Tavarin. You won't admit that, will you? So is that the distinction between them, that Matt is still resistant to the idea that he's Tavarin, so he can't resist? Uh, I mean, that continues to be, like, it it would seem weird if it wasn't, because he definitely has a moment like that in book five, where he specifically Uh is like, I'm just going to walk away from this situation, and nothing important or relevant to the plot is going to happen while I do that. And he he stumbles face first back into the plot. Yeah, he stumbles face first into being the most important person in the plot in that moment. (laughs) He's like, no. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, literally crying and shaking right now. And Perrin's tells him that they're on different paths, also known as Tavarin story magic. We need to get these people in different places. Yeah. It's time to have people all around the world. So that brings us to chapter 14, Customs of Mayin. Ugh. Yeah, this is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so Perrin is still packing when Beryline comes in to start a seven-book-long subplot. <laughs> really? Really? Why? This isn't necessary. This is not necessary. We don't need it. We don't we have want it anyway. It. If you think it's not necessary... Call me back six books from now and tell me if you still think it's just not necessary or if you have more modifiers to put on that phrase. It's already hard for me to read the chapters, honey. Well, guess what? Uh, so Perrin says, uh, I'm sorry. Berylaine is getting all touchy-feely with Perrin. Not in the metaphorical sense, but in the like literal putting her hands all over him sense. And Fail comes in, and then chases her away. What a sitcom moment. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, Perrin says he has to go alone to the two rivers, and Fail disagrees strongly. This part is more frustrating to me than the barreling stuff. Yeah, it's all it's, not good. I have to go alone. I have to protect you. And then this kicks off a whole book of them being really stupid with each other. But also, spanking. <laughs> Don't forget yeah, the spanking. And then Perrin tries to white fang Fael, talking about how hot Barrelane is, yeah. and how he might go hang out with her instead. Yeah. Maybe I'll go sleep with her in the two rivers. Uh, this plot sucks. Yep. This is when Bird Lady should take the Aiel path and just, like, challenge her to a knife fight, and then... That's what she does. That's what she does. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So Fael insists on coming with, yeah, like you said, Perrin does the thing where he's like, I don't know, she's pretty hot, maybe I hate you. 
That's just not what you say. Like, oh my god. No, but it is what Perrin says. Perrin should go back to being a blacksmith. That's what he's uh, saying. It's like, I'm gonna oh go be a blacksmith god. for this hot chick. Anyway, your nose is really strong. <laughs> oh god. So, Fayul storms out, and then she and Berylaine have a fight. Well, there's a there's a little note that okay. P- Perrin said, like, talks to himself and says that the reason he can't bring Fayil is that he's planning to sacrifice himself for the two rivers, and if she comes, that won't happen. I mean, which is a reasonable sort of if you're taking sacrificing yourself as a reasonable action, not taking Fayil is a reasonable extension of that. But something tells me that sacrificing yourself isn't going to do anything to help. Also, you're Tavarin. You're yeah. literally not allowed to sacrifice yourself. The rope will snap, and a, a murder of crows will randomly decide that the eyeballs of every white cloak look delicious, and you'll be saved for no reason, because the plot demands that you survive. Does this actually happen? No, but... Because like, I'd read that. I mean, that's like not that far outside the realm of possibility for... The late game level of Tavar and then mm, these characters achieve. Eyeballs. <laughs> but yes, now Fayil tries to knife fight Barrelane. Which I don't necessarily want to talk about this part because it's unbelievably bad. <laughs> like this particular part of them yelling at each other about who gets to have this man. It's so stupid. He's not worth it. Leave him. <laughs> but he's more worth it than Rand. Uh,. But he's got those shoulders. No man is worth that. <laughs> yeah, they both act very petulant. Yeah, I really hate het romances where they do this, where there's the competitiveness between people of the same gender over another person. It's disgusting and frustrating, and I don't like it. Yeah, this seems like the flip side of Rand's relationship, where... The decision is all three women can just share me. This is instead, I want two women to fight over me, and I just don't know how to deal with it. Wacky. Also, Barreling knows how to fight. Yeah. Now we know she doesn't just suck. She has a bit more going on. Which is good. We'll see a lot of it. She becomes a less terrible character. Cool. Is that (laughs) true? At least from what I've read. Yeah, I think she... She becomes somewhat better. I don't know. I don't want to give it away. Um, also, this starts her very productive working relationship with Ruark when he pulls them away from each other. Yeah. Uh, Ruark is very good. He's like an uncle that's tired of everyone's garbage. Uh, so chapter 15, Into the Doorway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do plot. Do magic. Do, do not. Do math. Do not dirtling around the stone for 14 chapters. <laughs> Let's go to a different world for a second. Yeah. Uh, so Matt's in the basement of the stone where they keep all the weird stuff. He finds a door hanging partway open and enters, finding a. Yeah, be- re- hmm? Before that, he does a weird sexism triple whammy. I I've skimmed this. What? He said he was surprised that Egwene and Nave had not dusted and tidied while they were down here. Oh, Women yeah. were always dusting and straightening, even things that did not need it. 
Footprints crisscrossed the floor, some of them from boots, but no doubt they had been men to shift the heavier items about for them. The knave liked finding ways to make a man work. Likely she had deliberately hunted out some fellows enjoying themselves. This is like a sexism triple, quadruple, quintuple whammy. It turns out Matt's trash. Women love cleaning. (laughs) Yeah, no. And love manipulating men into doing the heavy work. I mean, to be honest, like, who wouldn't want to, like, make other people do things for them? But also, apparently, Egwene has the capability of lifting at least a person's worth of weight with the power. Yeah, so Matt's just being a silly, silly... Not only is he, like, being sexist, he's also just wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, that was just a small aside. That was like, wow, this is a very, very strongly worded paragraph. He's, he's very traditional boy compared to the others, because he's still terrified of Aes Sedai and the fact that Rand can channel. And women are still terrifying, except when he wants to cuddle with them. Matt, Matt gets he an item. He likes a good cuddle. Matt gets an item that codifies him being scared of Aes Sedai as a character trait like we'll get to it yeah he's just generic male in this universe from from how he re- how well, he reacts. for now he i mean he's very lucky and he hasn't yeah. he's the one that is still waiting for like his thing like rand is the dragon perrin is a wolf matt in this book he gets his thing but he does not have his thing yet besides the luck Matt is a boy, and men and women are different. Matt Um, is a good, good crow boy. Yeah. We'll Uh, get to it. So he finds the redstone Tarongreal doorway, and after stepping through, he's confronted by an inhuman being who wants to confirm that Matt didn't bring fire, iron, or musical instruments. Are these fairies? I don't know. They look kind of snake-like. I mean, this is like a really cool, mysterious note, although I don't actually know if it means anything. It does. It does? It does. Because I I noted that thing in the second book when Rand was in the Else world and he tried playing his flute and it sort of made the world warp. Yeah. Uh, the It matters, and this is one of the good mysteries where, like, it's not just laid out for you, but you still... Because most of the mysteries up to this point have been very, like, by the time we tell you what it is, you should have figured it out, you know, 20 chapters ago. Uh But this is one where, by the time that they reveal it, it's like, you could have figured it out, but you would have had to be pretty eagle-eyed to put everything together. Well, I haven't figured it out yet, so we'll get to it. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Alright. So, as Matt is being led through this new environment... It's impossible space. It's like twisting and turning in ways that it can't, and the scenery outside is repeating on different sides. He's in a weird area. And he's being really careful not to phrase anything as a question. Yeah. Which is some caution he'll immediately throw away. Yeah, I mean, that's Matt. Uh, Eventually, he's taken to a room where he will get his answers three. Uh, There's... Three of these beings on three different pedestals. Uh, He asks if he should go to the two rivers and is told he needs to go to Ruidion. He says, why Ruidion? (laughs) That's your second question. Or else he'll die. 
And he says, why will I die? What? That's your third question. <laughs> that was your third question. And as he's being dragged away, the three beings start. And by the way, the entire space is like shaking itself apart at this point. Because there's two Tavarin in there. Yeah. Which we find out. Yeah. They uh, keep saying stuff like, the strain is too much. Yeah. So Matt is like, or yeah, the beings on the pedestal are like screaming at him. To marry the daughter of the nine moons, to die and live again, and live once more a part of what was, to give up half the light of the world to save the world, as he's thrown out of the doorway. So he got like six answers. He basically got three free answers. <laughs> God. That's what a lucky boy. called economy. He, Matt has Leo DeLuca yeah. in his asset pool. Yeah, seriously. I was trying not to... Yeah. Uh, So he's thrown out of the doorway, and he can't go back in. There's just nothing there. Uh, And then Rand steps out. He's like... He's like, hey, Matt. "Uh, What's up? How how are you doing? And then Moraine steps out. She loses that. She's like, why are you both here? You're dumb. And uh, Matt pretends he didn't get any answers and needed an interpreter. Because the other two needed an interpreter and he didn't. Yeah, because mm. he was just fluently speaking and understanding the old tongue. Interesting. I, I really like that beat. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he has to go to Radeon or else he'll die. And he's not happy about that. That's our Matt. You have to do something and you're not happy about it. Were, were you feeling things beyond reading this chapter or nah? I... I actively don't like reading Rand's chapters. This and, was a Matt chapter. And I was continuing my sentence, sir. <laughs> so I actively don't like reading Rand chapters, and I'm reaching a point with reading Matt chapters where I just want to, like, drop kick him somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't find him as frustrating as Rand for some reason, but we need to kick him into some suffering so he gets over himself. Oh. Being Matt is suffering. <laughs> cool. We'll get to it. Uh, chapter 16, Leave Takings. Again, another chapter called Leave Takings. Four books in a row. Probably going to end up being 14 books in a row. I don't it's remember. Almost, it's almost like the series has an adventure sub sub genre. Hmm. <laughs> and also, wait, cycles repeating? What? What? Huh? Huh? Spun again into the pattern? No, don't say that. Uh, So the next morning, Perrin goes to check on Loyal to make sure he's in a condition to go, and finds Fael there, being super passive-aggressive. Which is fine, because he was like, I'm gonna go sleep with this lady you hate. (laughs) At this point, he deserves it. Yeah. Uh, Perrin convinces Loyal to come along, and he and Fael continue to argue about the problem. Until but then Fael is like, no, Loyal is coming with me, but I'm also going where you're going. Yeah, it's, and I, like, I don't remember the exact wording, but I'm pretty sure they even do the, if I was speaking to Fael, I would tell, or like, Loyal, please tell Fael that, Loyal, please uh, tell Perrin that, yeah, like. Is this also the chapter where, where Loyal's like, my mom's here and she's gonna get me married? Uh, no, yes. it was some random guy was here. She was saying, or he was saying, I have to leave anyway okay. because otherwise my mom's gonna show up. Okay, and then loyal he doesn't want to get married. <laughs> yeah, because the the reason why Falcon can get 
loyal to takers because she convinced loyal to do something always when he's leaving or whatever and that's why she can go with perrin somehow she talked him into it yeah got him to promise yeah and oh gear don't break their promise yeah because he's loyal (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was just confirming that's what was happening here amongst the hetero drama yeah okay so perrin leaves the room and on the way he runs into gall and gall says i'm coming with you they talk about Gaul coming along for a minute and how a bunch of the Aiel want to go back to the Waste. And Perrin says, well, we're going to take the ways." And Gaul says, death comes for all men, Perrin. Perrin's like, that's not Great. a cool thing to say <laughs> right now. <laughs> Bro, why do you be such a downer? I, I wish you'd chill out, Gaul. So then we cut to the Wonder Squad who's preparing in their room. They're putting the finishing touches on their packing. Lan comes in, and oh, you sound like you're gearing up for a sigh. I am sighing. Is this where they kiss? This is where yes. they kiss. I really hate, hate, hate when it's like you kiss somebody to shut them up. Mm. I really hate that. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? I know that's that's that that was me preemptively being like I don't like this. Yeah. So Lan comes in to say, "Hey, if you go to Tanchico, Tanchico's a bad place. You're gonna need somebody. I could come along." And the name's like, "No, you gotta hang out with Moraine." And then yeah, there's like a whole argument, and they make out for a bit in front of everybody. And <laughs> Elaine's like watching to try and be like, "Is that what it's like when Rand picks me up?" She's sixteen. Very 16. Uh, But they do... I don't know if they necessarily agree to having somebody come along with, or if they just don't actually convince Lan. But, spoilers, somebody comes along with. Uh, And then Elaine thinks, you know, there's this letter I wrote him. I wonder if I have time to write a second one to tell him that I'm not like I was in the first. And this is going to make Rand confused for four bucks. Yep. Please enjoy your subplot. Men and women are different. It's not even, I don't even know if it's a subplot. It's just like a beat that they hit over and over again. Rand will talk about these letters over and over and over again. And like the first letter is her doing her- It's essentially a sext. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is, hey. And the second (laughs) one is- this please don't think that i'm a really forward woman i'm not like that no it's it's this it's more like it's that yeah why i'm doing a hand gesture why the first one is this the Uh second one is this why and it's very much and then people will say rand she meant every word she said in the letter and he'll have a breakdown (laughs) for like two or three paragraphs like which letter (laughs) (laughs) yeah this he, happens for a lot of books. Yeah. He'll like hold on to the letters and look at one and look at the other. It's so good. Our equivalent of reading through the text messages just being like. So okay. anyway, this is a beat that gets hit continually. Is Rand like suddenly crying because somebody said the word letter? <laughs> I love it. Letters, boxes. Letters, boxes. Oh no. Don't let him see any letter boxing. <laughs> Uh, Only 4 by 3 aspect ratio for Rand. (laughs) He's a traditionalist. Uh, Chapter 17, Decisions. 
So Tom is going around the stone, uh, gathering information and setting rumors. Uh, when he gets back to his room, Moraine is there waiting for him, and they banter back and forth for a minute before she gets to the point. She wants him to go to Tanchico with the Wonder Squad to watch over them. And she's able to truthfully guarantee his safety. Which, hmm. weird flex, but okay. Something to do with maybe just coming out of a doorway that gave her a bunch of answers. Thinking emoji. Also, Tom thinks about how hot Moraine is during this. Tom makes me so uncomfortable, and I really dislike that he's a prevalent character. Tom is 120 years old. (laughs) He's disgusting and makes me uncomfortable. Moraine, at least, is, like, in her 60s or 70s. Which, to stop making the joke about Tom, like, they're probably the same age. He just actually looks like he's that old, and Moraine is... looks like she's somewhere between the ages of 20 and 50. Like Hollywood actresses. Well, no, I mean, like, you literally can't tell how old she is. He refuses to go, but as soon as she leaves, he thinks about packing and how he's gonna go. He's doing that thing where he lies. Uh, so then we cut back to Elmendreda, who's trying to maintain her cover, and Gawain isn't helping. Uh, he and Galad come up, and Galad has his Jordan Peterson book, and Gawain starts <laughs> asking her questions about Elaine and Egwene. Leave her alone. She, she doesn't want to talk to you. She's just trying to do her embroidery. Stop reading Mein Kampf. Yeah. Almost literally stop reading Mein Kampf. So Min sees a vision about Loghain, and she goes to tell Suan who lists all of the dozen problems she has that's more important than Loghain will do something important before he dies. Uh, She says there's nothing to be done about that, or Gawain asking so many questions. And then she says Min still has to stay at the tower. Great. Uh, So then Suan receives two messages by Pigeon. One, uh, Mazrum Tame has escaped. Somebody snuck into the camp and escaped him. And Rand has taken the colander, which means that Suan can now work with him officially. God, I thought you were doing, like, a deliverance pose. <laughs> but it was just you stretching. I thought you were like, he's taken the colander. Is it is it calendar or col- colander? Cause wait, oh, it's, it's calendar. calendar. Okay, because the way you were saying colander, which made me just think of, like, the holy pasta drain. That's the joke, okay. is that it's the colander. Okay. Uh... So now Suan can work with him in an official capacity. Uh, She convenes the hall and sends Min away to continue looking for Black Aja viewings. During this, she says something that I have literally said out loud to people at work when they won't stop talking to me. Quote, do not trouble trouble till trouble troubles you. That's awful. It really works because it confuses people and then they stop talking to you. And then elsewhere, somewhere on a farm... There's an Aes Sedai who uses the weapon as a power and is looking for men. Wow, wait, what did I... Let me try Power as a weapon. Let me use that sentence over... Hold on. Elsewhere, on a farm somewhere, an Aes Sedai uses the power as a weapon and is torturing Accepted to look for men. And then she gets word that Min was speaking with Gawain before she arrived... Or when she arrived at the tower. Yeah, basically, Sarah just made the mistake of being too gossipy, and now she's dead. Yeah. 
What a lesson to us all. Maybe don't say the names of co-workers that you don't like <laughs> mid-recording. <laughs> or else... What a lesson to us all. What if the Forsaken will show up and torture you with the one power? Truly. Uh, yeah, that was it. We did it! We did it. Uh, so that does it for this section, which was the last sort of prep one. Thank goodness. Uh... So next week is chapters 18 through 26, and I'm pulling out my Kindle app to double check. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a lot of things that happen in the next section. I mean, this book really accelerates after this point. Yeah. There's still one, like, 50-page long chapter that nothing happens, and I think that might be in the next section. Great. But uh, other stuff does happen. Yeah. This is... Yeah, the next section is going to be a girthy one, because <laughs> chapters 24 through 26 are the thing that we have to, like, sit and analyze every paragraph. Oh, hype. Yeah. Yeah, right? That's what I was so surprised by, was it really just happens very quickly. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, so, Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter at Wheel Reading. I'll have the link in the description. And if you leave any reviews on iTunes or your podcast services, it makes it a lot easier for people to find us. And we love hearing from anyone who listens to the podcast. It gives us a sense of purpose in life. Which we didn't have for our entire lives until we started. Until you, dear listener. Until you. I cry myself to sleep every night that there's not a new review on our podcast. (laughs) I'm almost out of tears. You won't do that to me, will you? Anyway, this has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Bjorn. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>